MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, September 24th, 2020. Today, Senator Ron Johnson releases his report based on information supplied to him by a Russian spy, and it sucks. The Louisville, Kentucky grand jury has announced it will indict only one of the murderers of Breonna Taylor for wanton endangerment of someone besides Breonna Taylor. The DHS has awarded $6 million in contracts to Chad Wolf's wife's firm. Betsy DeVos is under investigation for violating the Hatch Act. The Treasury hits Prigozhin with more sanctions. Politico learns that the CIA has bottlenecked Russian intelligence reports to the White House. Maddow exposes corruption at the highest levels of the CDC. The FBI issues a warning about foreign interference in election results immediately following the election. And Eric Trump is ordered to be deposed in the Trump Org business fraud civil case brought by Attorney General Tish James in New York State. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, we have a really big show today. I have an interview with Annette Coyazo running for Florida House seat 110. That's the 110th district in Florida. She's running for the House legislature or the state legislature. And uh, that's our Flip It Blue segment. It's a very important seat. And I'll be talking to 35-year NSA veteran Jeremy Black, also known as Lincoln's Bible's uncle, or we call him Unc. And we're going to discuss exactly what goes into obtaining a FISA warrant. And, uh, you know, we're going to do that because I want to do that ahead of the premiere of the Comey Rule, which comes out this Sunday on Showtime, uh, because I'll be interviewing the writer and director of the Comey Rule um, tomorrow on Friday. Oh, and by the way, I get Jeremy Black to to swear. It's pretty great. So you need to listen to that. And of course, Dana Goldberg will be joining me for the good news block. And we've got a couple of confessions too. And some really good news for for one of our patrons uh, as well. So we're going to be giving something away. So you want to hear that. And uh, speaking of the Comey rule, like I said, don't forget tomorrow I'll be speaking with the writer and director, Billy Ray. And that's, you know, I I do have to say yesterday's show, um, the lead was about Durkacz and and Rudy, and it took up the entire A block. So we do have a lot of headlines to get to today. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story today, the grand jury in Kentucky and Louisville has returned one charge in the Breonna Taylor case, but it doesn't have anything to do with Breonna Taylor. One officer was charged with a Class D felony called wanton endangerment, but not for the extreme willful disregard for Breonna Taylor's life, but for the extreme willful disregard of her white neighbors who live next door, because three of the 16 shots fired by this one officer went into their apartment. So there are no direct charges for the murder of Breonna Taylor. Wanton endangerment carries a paltry $10,000 fine, max, and up to five years in jail, max. And if you'll remember, we went through the Mueller report for the federal crimes. This is different. Uh, but we went through the federal crimes five years. If you had, didn't have anything on your record before, people were getting two months, two weeks, two months, four months, nothing. Trump was commuting those sentences anyway. So that's what's happening now. And in the wake of this non-indictment, as I like to call it, police are clashing with peaceful protesters in Louisville. The protesters were marching peacefully down the street, and with no explanation, police engaged with the protesters, again, for no reason, and that escalated tensions. There is now a curfew in place in Louisville, 
A federal civil rights investigation continues as the Department of, at the Department of Justice. But do we really think Bill Barr, who thinks that gassing and maiming peaceful protesters and who doesn't believe there's any racism problem in policing, is going to bring any charges? Doubtful. We'll keep covering this story for you as it uh, unfolds. Governor Andy Bashir of Kentucky is calling on the Trump-Humper Attorney General to make all the evidence in the Breonna Taylor case public, so... We can see if firing 16 rounds is justified force despite police being trained to fire two shots in rapid succession and then reassess. This officer did that eight times. And the two other officers are still cops, and they still face no charges. Again, we'll keep you posted on this story. And we now have the absolute snoozer of the investigation into Biden and Burisma from one Ron Johnson and his committee. Ron Johnson, who took Russian disinformation from sanctioned Russian spies and laundered it into our country by his own admission to hurt the campaign of Biden and help Trump win re-election, has put out his report. It says here, a pair of Republican Senate committee chairmen released a report Wednesday that revived attacks on the son of Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and argued his position with the Ukrainian energy company was problematic. But the report did not show uh, that it changed Obama administration policy toward Ukraine. Um, so this is as close as they can get looking into an old debunked conspiracy theory about the democratic presidential nominee's son. And they've concluded it's problematic. So Ron Johnson, who is the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee chairman and finance committee chairman, Chuck Grassley and from Iowa co-authored the report which comes just weeks before the election and just days before Trump and former Vice President Biden face off in the first presidential debate. Landed with a dud, this report. Much of the Republican report rehashes information, was already a key part of the GOP defense during the impeachment proceedings against Trump last year. Again, the report concludes that Hunter Biden's position on Burisma was problematic and did interfere in the efficient execution of policy with respect to, comp- to Ukraine. And it also charged that he and other Biden relatives cashed in on Joe Biden's vice presidency. But at the same time, the report states the extent to which Hunter Biden's role on Burisma board affected U.S. policy toward Ukraine is not clear. So it didn't. They've got nothing. I tell you, I've, I've been t- saying this. They have nothing. The best they have is the inspector general of the Department of Justice who found 17 mistakes with the Carter Page FISA after he was fired from the Trump campaign and who was never charged anyway. (laughs) Top ranking Democrat senators, Democratic senators slammed the GOP report, saying its key findings were false and rooted in a known Russian disinformation effort. So even though your report says it's nothing, your nothing is still bullshit because it, it came from Russian disinformation. The accumulated testimony, they argued, showed no wrongdoing by Joe Biden. Chairman Johnson repeatedly impugned Vice President Biden in public on the basis of secret evidence he claimed to have obtained. Contrary to his public insinuations, the chairman's investigation found no evidence that former Vice President did anything wrong in his efforts to carry out U.S. official official U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine. All firsthand witnesses testified that Hunter Biden's position on the border Burisma had no impact whatsoever on foreign policy. And that's what this report concluded. Johnson and Grassley say they've never had contact with Durkacz, but... Instead, they said, we relied on information we got from a guy named Teleshenko, an associate of Derkoch. Cool story, bros. 
Next up, remember this interview I had with Peter Strzok last week? Guess one of the best interviews ever. Listen to this clip. He gave this warning last week on our show. But what worries me the most is I think there's a very likely chance that we're going to have a election decision that isn't clear until well after election day. And that intervening period between the election day and the final electoral college result is going to be an absolutely fertile ground for Russian mischief and, and disinformation. This week, just last night, the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency warned us, put out a warning, a PSA, the more you know, do-do-do. Uh, they did this last night. Uh, they warned that foreign actors would spread disinformation about the results of the 2020 election and encouraged voters to be patient with delayed election results. Quote, the increased use of mail-in ballots due to COVID-19 protocols could leave officials with incomplete results on election night. This is uh, according to the statement. And, quote, foreign actors and cyber criminals could use disinformation to exploit the time required to certify and announce election results. The warning follows a news, uh, the news of a CIA assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin and his top aides are aware of and probably directing Russian influence operations, including the one with Ron Johnson we just talked about, aimed at interfering in the 2020 election to hurt Biden and to help Trump. President Trump and several top Republican allies have recently sought to cast China as the greatest threat to the election, including Bill Barr said so, even as evidence continues to emerge suggesting Russia's already interfering, and as FBI Director Christopher Wray explicitly told House lawmakers last week. The agency specifically said foreign actors might try to confuse voters by creating and spreading disinformation about voter suppression, cyber attacks targeting election infrastructure, voter or ballot fraud, after the polls close, but before those certified results come in. We've been referring to this as the red mirage, and it is real. So be prepared to question all social media reports about problems with voting, problems with the election, long lines, rigged, rigged, rigged. Be careful about that. We've gotten some very explicit warnings here on this show. And now from the FBI directly itself. And in a related story. The Treasury and Steve have ramped up sanctions on Yevgeny Prigozhin, Putin's chef and the head of the Internet Research Agency for global malicious activities, including election interference in the United States. Interesting. More sanctions. Rudy's the fall guy. And from Politico, the CIA has clamped down on the flow of intel about Russia to the White House, stoking fears among officials that the intelligence is being suppressed to please the president. How many times have we heard this? Nine current and former officials have told Politico, and this is from Natasha Bertrand, uh, that Gina Haspel has become extremely cautious about which, if any, Russian-related intelligence products makes their way to Trump's desk or the NSC, National Security Council. One administration official said the intel flow from CIA to the NSC is a matter of quality over quantity. We're only allowed, we're only allowed 16 words on Russia every week, so we got to make them good ones. <laughs> Another official said that while the CIA is not the only agency that provides intel to the NSC, that the perception was the CIA was certainly exhibiting an abundance of caution about the Russian intelligence it was sending. This all started around the time of Trump's impeachment proceedings. Same with the Kirsten Nielsen stuff. And the consulting firm, where the wife of acting Homeland Security Secretary, illegitimate acting Homeland Bastard Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf is an executive. His wife is an executive at this company, and they've been awarded more than $6 million in contracts from the Department of Homeland Security since September of 2018. This is according to records of the federal government website USA Spending. 
Wolf became chief of staff at the Transportation Security Administration, a DHS agency, in 2017, and chief of staff to Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen in 2018. He took over as acting secretary in November, kind of, and has been nominated to become secretary. He still really isn't. His confirmation hearing before the Senate is scheduled for 10 a.m. Wednesday. Wolf's wife, Hope Wolf. <laughs> Sorry, Chad and Hope. Sounds like a bad soap opera. Chad and Hope, the Wolves. The Wolves of Pennsylvania Avenue. Wolf's wife is vice president of a professional staffing operations at Berkeley Research Group, which is a consulting firm. Although the company has a long history of federal contacts, it contracts, it did not work for DHS until after Wolf became the TSA's chief of staff in 2017. God, this is so illegal. A DHS spokesperson said Wolf was not aware of the contracts until he was contacted by the media. <laughs> I can see I could see why your wife would never speak to you, but I really doubt that's the case, Chad. And an independent government agency will investigate whether Education Secretary Betsy DeVos breached a law forbidding federal employees from engaging in political activities on their job after her department distributed a clip of DeVos criticizing the Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, throughout government channels. Oops. The U.S. Official of, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel, which has jurisdiction to investigate violations of the law known as the Hatch Act, will conduct the inquiry according to the investigative watchdog blog that filed the complaint. The revelation is the latest in a string of Trump administration officials to face accusations breaching the Hatch Act. But the power to levy penalties on officials like DeVos falls to Trump. And he has shown little inclination to mete out punishment or follow the office's recommendations. He's shown zero inclination, except for people who don't like him. Hmm. This complaint stems from an appearance by DeVos on Fox News when the secretary said Mr. Biden's pledge to abandon her school choice policies was shameful. She claimed that she had turned his back on the kids and turned his face in favor of the teachers' union and its demands. Hatch Act violations. Oh, do tell. Now, if anybody watched Maddo last night, holy majoli, she had some exclusive reporting on the CDC. We've been asking for a while now. CDC, are you okay? They are not. Well, she was able, she, back in April, she did a, a little report on a mealy-mouthed uh, uh, epi-team um, report that came out of Smithfield Meatpacking Company in South Dakota, I believe. Basically, they went there, looked around. There was a huge outbreak, and, and then the CDC made a bunch of recommendations. But in the report that was issued on April 22nd, they were like, mm, if possible, wear masks. If you're sick, try, try to have your workers stay home if they're sick, if feasible. Uh, these are recommendations uh, you know, to do if you can. Um, if you feel like putting up partitions between employees, try that. If you want to put hand sanitizer in, in the plant around, you, if you can, if you can, go ahead. If not, no big deal. Well, after months of investigating, Maddo and her team were able to get get a hold of the original report typed up by the CDC and the team, the science team on the ground, the epi investigative team that went to the plant. And their report was more like what we are used to seeing from the CDC, which is uh, put hand sanitizer around, put physical barriers between employees. Employees wear masks, face coverings. They must cha be changed when they get wet or soiled. Uh, if an employee is sick, they must stay home and not return to work. Like, just the way that we're used to the CDC fucking talking. 
And so she has all these, both of these reports back like next to each other um, and is looking at all the differences and found out from two sources, I'm assuming in that team that, that did the investigation at the Smithfield plant, that they had finished up their report, typed it up, sent it over to Smithfield, and then boom, they get a call from the director um, uh, of the CDC in Washington to, to claw it back, Maddow says. Pull it back. And then changes were made to, to, to lighten it up. And, and Maddow was pissed. And I am too. This is, people are dying. I mean, how many people have died at Smithfield because these actual strong gold standard CDC recommendations weren't issued and followed? Because they f- felt like they, if it was feasible, they should do it. It's absolutely infuriating. You should check out that reporting. Uh, it'll be in our newsletter. You can see we have uh, copies of the reports back to back that that Maddo was able to put together. It's truly, truly unconscionable. We're running out of adjectives. And finally, a New York state judge ruled Wednesday that Eric Trump must sit to be deposed by the state attorney general's office by October 7th. They have denied his request to delay an interview as part of an investigation into the Trump organization until after the presidential election. He wanted to wait until after the election even though he's been dodging this fucking deposition since July. Trump, the president's son and the executive vice president of the Trump organization, I can't believe he's the executive vice president of anything other than looking like a modern-day Nosferatu, Uh, he had proposed the deposition take place after the November 3rd election, and an attorney for the company wrote in a recent court filing that the delay should be made to accommodate his extreme travel schedule, extreme, <laughs> and uh, related unavailability between now and the election, and to avoid the use of his deposition for political purposes. What are you going to say? Something that would hurt your dad? Come on. A lawyer for Trump declined to comment. In the office of the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, had asked the judges to enforce subpoenas for Trump's testimony and documents as part of its investigation into whether the Trump Organization improperly inflated the values of certain assets. Quote, to be clear, no entity or individual is allowed to dictate how or when our investigation will proceed or set the parameters of lawful investigation. She said, following this ruling, the court's order to make uh, today makes clear that no one is above the law, not even an organization or an individual with the name Trump. The office said Trump initially agreed to be interviewed for the civil investigation in July, but abruptly canceled. He's been dodging them ever since, like I said. Trump's lawyers hold, uh, had told the court that he never refused to comply with the demand for testimony, but said they didn't receive assurances from the New York investigators that they have not and will not provide their investigative materials to any other law enforcement agency. Ha, fuck you, dude. Yeah, I'll be deposed in your civil suit, but you got to promise not to make any criminal referrals to, mm, I don't know, say the Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance, who's investigating the Trump organization as well for this exact thing. Fuck that guy. Anyway, we have more show. I'm going to be talking uh, to Annette Coyazo right after this. Flip it blue. She's going to talk to me from Florida. And uh, you don't want to miss what she has to say. And then stick around because I'll be talking to Lincoln's Bible's uncle, Jeremy Black, 30 plus year, 35 year NSA veteran uh, about the FISA process. And you don't want to miss it because you're going to want to be familiar with that process when we talk to Billy Ray tomorrow, who wrote and directed the Comey Rule which comes out Sunday on Showtime. Very important, very important miniseries. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard some of the trials and tribulations of the podcat, Bruce Willis, and boobs. We've had ups and downs, but my love for them is unbreakable. I'd do just about anything for them. But as much as I love my cats, I'm not fond of their litter boxes. Everything from cleaning to covering up the smell, it's a constant battle. And that's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is the kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with specialized de-dusting processes. Less dust, no fuss. Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in small, lightweight bags that last up to a month. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store, which is good during these COVID times. And shipping is free. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is pet hero for me. It is a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors our cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You will not find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. So now Bruce Willis and Boobs have the best litter ever. I can come home and pet them and love them. It doesn't smell. And I have peace of mind that their health is good. So get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com. Promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off. Again, prettylitter.com. Promo code DAILYBEANS. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. I'm blue. We have a very special treat today. We are going to be talking to a Democratic candidate for Florida's House of Representatives in District 110. And her name is Annette Coyazo. Annette, welcome to The Daily Beans. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to discuss this race um, to such a larger audience. It's it's such an important race. And, you know, we for Flip It Blue, we've been doing uh, a lot of U.S. House races. And I really wanted to focus on some state House races, especially in Florida. And I think that this seat is so important because you are running against Republican Alex Rizzo. And apparently both primaries were canceled. Your current representative is Jose Oliva. Yes. And who's also a Republican. And my understanding is this has a, been a traditionally red district for you. Is that is that the case? Yeah, this district has been, you know, well, this district has been led by a Republican representative for many years now. It's probably four decades now. The last representative that was a Democrat was Bob Graham. Um, leading this district. And, and so, yeah, it's been some time. Uh, so this is known as a red district, but actually that's, that's not the case. The demographics show that the district is actually pretty evenly split between Democrats, Republicans, and non-party affiliated voters. Mm, yeah. And that's why I wanted to focus on this one so hard, because this is a flippable seat. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... We just have to remind folks, and that's why I wanted to talk to you today, about what's at stake, especially in this district. Can you tell us a little bit about the constituency in your district, who you who you want to represent in, in the Florida House? Yeah, so this district encompasses the areas of, so it encompasses parts of uh, two municipalities. One is Hialeah, the other is the town of Miami Lakes. 
And um, we do have uh, more women in the district than men. That's a pattern that is, you know, that's just a state and, and national and global pattern, right? Women tend to outnumber men in the population. And um, going back to the, the the partisan affiliations, a third, the district is pretty evenly divided with um, a third Dem, a third Republican and a third MPA. The NPAs are the ones that, you know, really make the elections here. In 2016, actually, Hillary won in this district over Trump by eight percentage points. So that was the MPAs carrying it, you know, a strong Democratic turnout and the MPAs carrying it and perhaps some Republicans that just didn't really see Trump as as someone to represent their party. Um, so, you know, we there are a lot of opportunities here. You know, all that to say that there are a lot of opportunities here to flip this this seat. And, um, you know, I'll just say that it is important to flip this seat. We need to bring more balance to our state legislature. And definitely we want more Democrats in office. Um, but I think it's also important because I feel that it would just simply be more representative of the community at large to have a, a Democratic representative based on, you know, some of our demographics here. Mm. Yeah, I concur with that, like wholeheartedly. And mm-hmm. I, you know, your parents fled Castro's Cuba, and that informs your politics quite a bit. Can you talk about uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's informed my, my, my views in the sense that, you know, just the immigrant story of parents, you know, coming to a country to make a life that is, you know, better for themselves and and their families. I think that's a huge part of it, just seeing that sacrifice, understanding that sacrifice, hearing those stories. You know, I wasn't born in Cuba. I was born here. But those stories that one hears, um, you know, we hear parents as immigrant children, we hear, or, or children of immigrants, we hear parents telling these stories all the time about what their childhood was like and, you know, the sacrifices that they had to make and the relatives that they still have back home and when can they visit again. And, you know, all of those stories are memories and, and things that I have kind of absorbed and have become a part of my story. And, you know, even though I never experienced the, you know, the the disillusionment and the horror that was communism for my parents, I, I'm so close to it because I've seen the sacrifices that they had to make. I think that it's hard for many of us to appreciate what it means to have to completely uproot yourself and go to a completely new country. I mean, when we move from one home to another, an apartment to another, we have a sense of loss. We have a sense of displacement. Imagine moving from a whole other country with a different language, completely different economic system. I mean, it's and leaving your family behind, right? So those are things that, that I carry with me as, as the person that I am now and, and as and as a person that wants to represent this community, those are stories that, that I carry with me and that inform my views on, on all these issues that affect us. Mm, yeah. And I want to talk about some of those issues, too, because these are some of the things that are really important to you uh, and, you know, and also to your constituents that you want to represent. And I think one of the most important things right now is health care. And I, it's my understanding here, looking at your platform, you want to expand Medicaid to the 800,000 Floridians who fall in the coverage gap, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's a big, big issue on the ballot this time. Absolutely, yes. So definitely expanding Medicaid is super duper important. 
you know, something that I, I believe is that we should all in our wonderfully wealthy society, we should all be able to access quality medical care. That should be a given. And we do have a problem in Florida where there are about 800,000 people that fall in the, you know, in that, in that coverage gap. These are people that earn too much to qualify for Medicaid um, because apparently earning $30,000 in a household of four is too much, <laughs> which it's not. You can't survive off of that really here in Florida with the high cost of living, especially the high cost of living in, in my community and in, in the part of my community that is highly, especially high. And, um, you know, these are people that they don't earn enough to be able to pay for their own insurance on the health care exchange. And we know that here, you know, medical coverage is very important, obviously, to all of us as human beings, right? But it's very important to our community and, and it's and indicating the importance and the need and desire for that coverage is that Hialeah actually had record signups for people um, when Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, was passed. Record signups, a community that is considered red. It is it is a community that is a little redder than more than other parts of the, of the district for sure, and yet they still you know had these record signups and saw the need for that. So I think it's really important, and it's not something that should be a partisan issue, as we can see. Everyone can get behind that. But I think that our leaders in Tallahassee forget that it, it shouldn't be a partisan issue, forget that there are people in our communities that need this kind of coverage and that it's a lot of people. Um, we did in my own campaign, we actually kind of, I'm very, I love, I love to know the facts, right? I love to be informed when I speak on an issue. So we kind of did a little, a little rough research and tried to figure out how many of those 800,000 people actually reside in the district. So the 800,000 people that are without coverage. And we estimated that, and it's a rough estimate, but we estimated that about 8,000 of those households would be in our community. Um, so it's important to the people here. And, you know, in addition to that, also just like protecting coverage, right? There are just constant assaults against the pre-existing condition stipulation of, of that is the whole premise, right, of, afford, of the Affordable Care Act, of Obamacare. And there, we're constantly seeing that that's under attack at the, at the state legislature. And, um, you know, again, in Tallahassee, our leaders in Tallahassee, they just seem to be so disconnected. And not all of them. But people definitely that have represented this community in the past few years, they just seem so disconnected from the actual lived experiences of the people in the community that this issue of Medicaid has turned into an ideological issue. It's no longer an issue of people just needing coverage. It's an issue of the federal government getting into our business and that kind of ideological issue, which is absolutely ridiculous. Those are federal funds. I think, you know, the, the study that you're citing um, that, that said it was about 800,000 people that would benefit from an expansion. We have about $14.3 billion of federal funds that are on this, that we're leaving on the table because of an ideological issue. And so it's absolutely ridiculous that we don't take those. Those are our dollars. Those are our taxpayer dollars. Yeah, it's bananas, right? I mean, you said, you know, everyone can get behind people having access to timely quality health care. 
but mm-hmm. except for Republicans, like your opponent yeah. and the Republicans in Tallahassee and then all the way up to the Republicans uh, at the national level who are right mm-hmm. now trying to gut the Affordable Care Act, kick millions of people off mm-hmm. of their health insurance and, and, and close down the expansion of Medicaid, not expand it so that people can get more coverage, especially yeah. all of the Floridians and all of the folks in your district that are losing their jobs because of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, and we when we t- we tie healthcare to our jobs, and 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 that and now so many people are not only out of their jobs because you're fighting for a living wage too, and, absolutely, and so you you know you lose your job or you know and and there's the thing that sucks right because. People are like, oh, you got a living wage, you got a living wage, or you're just above the poverty line. Yeah, but you're riding the fence, right? And in order to not mm-hmm. be below the poverty line, you have to have two jobs and then a side hustle driving for DoorDash and then, you know, and all this other, and then you can't get health care. It's not a way to live. And yeah. honestly, if we really care about our families and our communities, our young people, our elderly, we can expect, you know, the main you know, breadwinners of a household to be holding down two or three jobs to be able to make make ends meet. How is that a healthy situation for any family to be living in? You know, we see now that here, here, um, you know, in South Florida, I know that this is not the case in other parts of the country, but the students are going to school online, virtual schooling. The schools are not open here in Miami-Dade County. And so there are parents that have to work. Now they have children at home that are unsupervised um, because these people have jobs that are not necessarily ones in which they can stay home and Zoom for work, you know, or they can work from home. They actually have to physically go somewhere and their children are at home unsupervised or, or maybe under the care of someone else that they themselves need the care. So it's a really tricky situation. I've actually spoken to a lot of residents as I've been knocking on doors that have been sharing these stories with me. It's really rough for people right now. Like all these things are connected, right? The environment, uh, ecology, jobs, mm-hmm. the Green New Deal, living wages, and then, of course, health care, which is one of the big, big issues that, that Floridians are facing. Uh, and this is um, very important to the people in your district about mind blasting. Okay, yes. Yeah, so this is a very specific issue in, in part of the community, which is basically ha- it's been happening for over 30 years. These are rock mine, uh, rock mining companies. They they remove limestone from the ground, but they do it with explosives. And these explosives are destroying the homes that are nearby. And these homeowners are paying for these damages out of pocket. They have there's no remedy for these homeowners. Their insurance their insurance companies won't pay it because they they blame the the rock quarries, the mine blasting companies, and the mine blasting company won't pay it because there's a Florida statute that prevents people from directly suing the company. It has to go through an through the the division of administrative hearings, which sounds like a huge bureaucracy, and that's what it ends up being. People there's no remedy for people, so um, the community has been absolutely desperate. I mean, I can't even emphasize how desperate people are feeling as they watch their homes fall apart. Literally, the foundation of their homes are cracking and many people haven't even had the funds to pay for it. So their homes are just, they're just falling apart around them. And it's, it's something that's been going on since I was a child. I, I grew up thinking that it was normal for the tiles in one's home to crack every so often. <laughs> I thought that was normal. That's how... Yeah, I was a child experiencing that. Um, it was as an adult that I would that I came to find out, like, wow, we don't, we shouldn't have earthquakes in Florida, and that's not normal that for houses to be falling apart like that. No, well, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're going to stand up against that and and um, and do work. 
uh, for, for the people, for the people in your district. So I, I do have to run, but Annette, could you tell everyone where they can find information about your campaign and contribute? Yes. So um, my website would be the, the, the best place to go, anecoyazo.com. And I guess they can look up the spelling of my name. Um, C-O-L-A-Z-O is the last name. But yes, I would absolutely love a contribution. We're super duper scrappy. And so anything that you can contribute um, would help. And if you're in South Florida, please volunteer or anywhere, really. You can even make phone calls on behalf of the campaign. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Running in the Florida House of Representatives District 110 against Alex Rizzo. Thank you very much, Annette Coyazzo. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with 30-year veteran from the NSA, Jeremy Black. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon, best stuff in the world. Uh, Ever since I was a kid, my favorite food has been cereal. I would eat a whole box, I swear to God, just by myself watching Saturday morning cartoons. But as an adult, I've had to give it up because of all the sugar and carbs and guilt. But I am so excited now about Magic Spoon. It's so tasty, you will not believe it is made without the sugar, carbs, or guilt, and it's actually good for you. It's so good, you won't believe it's healthy. As Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon is the future of breakfast. And I agree. These cereals, Magic Spoon, amazingly, has zero grams of sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. And get this, ready? It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's delicious. It is the best thing I've put in my mouth. Four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. And it tastes incredible, too good to be true. My favorite right now is the frosted. I eat some in the morning, drink the milk after. Sometimes I snack on it dry because it's healthy and nutritious. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and grab a variety pack. Try them all today. And be sure to use our promo code dailybeans and check out the, you know, at the checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use the promo code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today for the interview. uh, Welcome back. A 30 year plus veteran of the NSA, Jeremy Black, also known as Unk. Unk, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, A.G.? I'm doing really, really well. And you can call me Allison now. I'm I'm I am free from underneath the the thumb of the Hatch Act. So I am able to use my. Oh, great. (laughs) <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, well, I don't know if it's great. Uh, the uh, department pushed me out um, after in- investigating my podcast. Uh, so uh, Really? Which one? The Mueller? The Mueller She Wrote podcast, yeah. Mueller She Wrote, yeah. Mm, yep. They uh, investigated <sighs> it through the Office of General Counsel, and instead of firing me for cause because I never violated the Hatch Act because I am a uh, ethical employee, they moved my job across the country uh, like they did with the USDA. Yeah, one of their favorite tricks. You know, you can't fire people. You move them around, and that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, and Mulvaney admitted that they do that. And uh, so, yeah, they moved the West Region. They wanted to move the West Region Coordinator for TRICARE to the East Region. Uh, Mulvaney did what now? Well, you remember Mulvaney, uh, the Washington Post, I think, reported on August 6th of last year that Mulvaney was recorded telling a room full of donors that he's got this trick when he wants to get rid of non-loyalists. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, they yeah you're the, right. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a prick, really. Anyway, 
Rick Mulvaney. We'll call him. <laughs> uh, so what I wanted to talk to you about today uh, is the difficulty with which and all of the preparation and all of the eyes and all of the approvals that have to go to the FISC in order to get a FISA warrant approved. Oh. Because we're kind of, uh, you know, going to be looking at this. This is something that um, this is the one talking point that uh, Donald Trump and his administration have uh, as a defense against why they're investigating the oranges or the origins of the Russia investigation with Durham. Yeah. And of course, Barr is pressuring Durham and Durham's number two quit, uh, you know, uh, because they, he wanted to pressure them to put out an interim report before the investigation was over prior to the election. And so I wanted to get get the skinny from you. What goes into a FISA warrant application? Oh, well, it's been a while since I saw one or had anything to do with one. But as I remember, uh, the the rules for how to do a FISA application were changed and updated about Christmas time, I think, or Thanksgiving 2010. And there, uh, there's about 15 or 16 pages of rules that a, an agency and its director have to go through, or pay attention to, I should say, uh, in order to get a uh, application for a FISA warrant in front of the uh, the court. And uh, a little bit about the court, A.G., as you know, there are 11 judges on the court. There's a presiding judge. I think they serve for seven years. The year the, the terms are staggered, so there's some continuity. Uh, and they, they have a, a sitting judge, I think they call it, who serves for seven days, and they keep kind of rotating that. Usually they can get their, their business done within seven days. If not, uh, if a particular application is so complex or difficult, it, it, it will stay with the judge that it first appeared with, and he'll kind of shepherd it through. Uh, when we get something ready to go to the court, it's a it's a very very serious matter. And uh, one at the at the agency NSA, uh, which is kind of a, a conservative place to start with, uh, approach very conservatively. So by that I mean that we just didn't willy nilly run down to the court three or four times a week saying, hey, we got to have. We got to get this intercept kind of a thing. So what happens is we put together an application. <clears throat> it's vetted by the agency attorneys. Um, and I, I believe, as a matter of fact, I'm sh sure that the director or the deputy director signs it and it goes down to the court. It doesn't go typically. And by the way, stop me and ask any questions you might have if, if I'm going if I get too far into the weeds here, but uh, typically it goes to the staff. The staff will look it over and they'll say back to us, uh, we don't think this one, uh, we don't think this dog's going to hunt, so don't even bother with it, and they'll send it back. Now, let me ask you a question here. Before it gets to the agency attorneys, and and you refer to the NSA as quote unquote the agency. Is that like the fumble or the drive? Are you guys the agency? Yeah, yeah, I call it the yeah, right. Nice, nice. All right. So before it gets to the agency attorneys, uh, I'm assuming there are tons of people working on 
uh, compiling the information that goes into the application oh, yeah. before it even Absolutely. gets to the to the agency attorneys. Right. We, you know, it starts right out, as you can imagine, with an analyst who says, "Holy smokes, I got something here. Let's uh, see if we can if we can pursue this, and uh, if we can pursue it, and." Uh, in con, you know, in compliance with the, the Fourth Amendment and not having any Americans or any American company involved in it at all, if it's strictly foreign, we'll say, okay, we want to we want to pursue this, and then uh, uh, we have people uh, on the staff of these, you know, uh, analyst activities who know how to sit down with the attorneys and say, hey, this is what we got. This is what we think we need. This is what we're proposing, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of blowback from that. Generally, the attorneys will have have all kinds of questions, all kinds of uh, issues that they raise. Once we get through that, which can take a while, uh, the attorneys will then kind of massage everything, get it ready in accordance with these 15 pages of rules that I mentioned to you, and get it down to the court. And then there'll be some back and forth between the staff of the court and our attorneys and and, the, and our attorneys will go back to the analysts with the questions or the concerns. And uh, usually, uh, you know, after a couple of back and forth, we, we know what the problem is. We can address the problem. We take it back up and it's our what we call our final application. And they either approve it or they don't. So... Uh, that's the reason that most of them get approved. Well, that's one of the pushback talking points, right, of the of the administration yeah. is that they, it's a rubber yeah. stamp. They approve 99% of these things. No, well, it just, it's not a rubber stamp by any means or by any stretch of the imagination. The, 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 the rubber stamp part comes when the, when the final application is submitted. Everybody's read it. The staff has read it. The judge is aware of it. Oftentimes, the judge will ask the agency to come in for what they call a hearing, and he'll have the judge will have his opportunity to tell the agency, "Here are my concerns. This is why I don't like this. These are the things that you need to do if you're going to pursue this, or you can't convince me that we're that this is a worthwhile endeavor. So stop doing it. Put this wheelbarrow down." move on to something else. Ah, and that's not considered a denial. That's not considered a denial. That's just part no. of the process. And it's not until you have everyone's approval that it then goes up for approval, meaning it's already been approved pretty much. That's correct. And, and there's no surprises. The judge knows what it is. The staff knows what it is. Our guys know what it is. So it's it's that serious a, a deal. You know, you just can't... Uh, you know, write down an application, scribble out a few pages and say, hey, let's run down and get one of these uh, FISA warrants. Uh, it, it doesn't work like that at all. So at least from our at least from the from our standpoint. So and it's, it's quite a bit different from, you know, the Title three folks, the law enforcement folks. Uh, they, they 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 just get in front of a, a any judge and say, hey, here's what we think we got. There's the same process. They have to write up an application, submit it to a judge, and the judge approves it. And that's how the, that's how they can get going with their wiretaps. But uh, I think that's a much speedier process and much 
much not quite as complex and and rigorous as as this one. When the NSA, because you said no Americans, no American companies, that's because you're the NSA and you only do foreign. Is that correct? Correct. It's It's the FBI. It's the FBI that gets FISA warrants on Americans. But let's say the NSA is uh, got a FISA on Kislyak, for example, or uh, a foreign entity, and an American pops up, do you refer that over to the FBI? Yes. I believe we, we, will, we would do that. Or, or we would go down to the, the, and the FBI would go up and get a FISA, or we'd get a FISA and keep pursuing that. We've had uh, some of these FISA things, AG, I remember we had one analyst who was so hell-bent on one particular uh, target, and he he worked this FISA process. He kept getting kind of turned down by our our own attorney. I think think it went on for three years. And when we finally got the application squared away and got it down here and got it approved, it turned out to be one of the most lucrative targets uh, we, we you could imagine so sometimes these these analysts are really understand what they're doing and you know it's almost like get out of my way i got this thing but the whole system is set up to be difficult and it should be difficult yeah uh, uh, agreed and and but, you know i mean if you talk about all the steps now we've talked we've talked about the line employees, many, many line employees gathering and compiling the information, sending it to the agency attorneys. Um, then it has to go up to the deputy director or the director. And in, in the case of the Carter Page FISA, for example, which was not an NSA FISA, it was an FBI FISA, um, then then it, it, it gets signed by the deputy director of um, of the Department of Justice, Rosenstein at the time, signed off on this. Then you've got, like you said, the now I've got 11 judges. They rotate. They're staggered. There's a seven-day sitting judge, and they usually stay, you know, if they need to stay an extra day or whatever to, to move this particular right. thing through. So this is just layer upon layer upon layer of checks and checks and checks to ensure that no... Uh, you know, rights are violated, no constitutional rights are violated, no laws are broken, all 16 pages of these updated rules in the FISA court are right. followed. It's a massively involved pro- process. And it's necessary because when we find a target that's dealing with an American, you know, you, you, you just can't plug into that. You've you got to minimize it. You've got to uh, make sure uh, everything is conducted in, in that particular activity in accordance with uh, this FISA law. Maybe it's the 702 section uh, that came from the uh, FISA Amendments Act. I think it was 2008, uh, which requires the Attorney General and the Director of National Intelligence to provide the court with written certification containing uh, statutory required elements. And, and, and the certification has to be uh, include an effective date for the authorization. And I think that is usually 30 days after it hits the court. So it's all extremely uh, regulated and, and uh, very carefully watched. And you, know, you just can't say, well, the 30 days ran out, so we need to extend it. You got to go back down there and explain why you need to extend it, why we couldn't collect, 
why we what we needed to collect on that particular matter in 30 days. Mm-hmm. Or something else has popped up, more evidence. Let's include it in the file and the exactly. application. And I believe it was a renewal. It was actually a renewal of the Carter Page FISA from the FBI right. in this particular case that, that was under scrutiny. Um, that Department of Justice Inspector General Horowitz looked at, determined that the FISA would have gone through without these errors, uh, but there, these errors were made. FBI, you should address these. Chris Ray goes, all right, we'll take care of that. And uh, yeah, that's... There's a way to handle errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a particular process when we discover we had something wrong in one of these applications, or even after we had you know authority and we began working the target, if we had made uh, an error in the application, we had to go back down there and say, hey, we screwed this up. We made a mistake. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just not something that uh, an agency or my agency, the National Security Agency, can do all by itself uh, at the drop of a hat, uh, you know, on a whim. It, it doesn't work that way at all. And it, it seems like uh, a position like the director of national intelligence, who sits atop the 17 intelligence agencies, would be an extremely important position, particularly if different agencies are handing off different FISAs to, or, or referrals to other agencies right. to ensure that, that that's communicated properly. And I remember Mueller saying during his testimony last July that the single most important threat to our election security would be to have no communication or blocks of communication between the intelligence agencies. Right. And now here we've got Ratcliffe sitting on top of the 17 <laughs> intelligence agencies. Oh How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that a guy who couldn't get confirmed for lying about his intelligence experience is now in charge? Of we, the... we, have a, we have a household rule here, A.G., that neither my wife nor I can talk about Trump or the intelligence activity or Ratcliffe after eight o'clock at night because we can't go to sleep if we do that. You know, we'll be up all night reading the paper and talking to each other. Oh, look at this! Oh my God! So it's uh, it's eight o'clock. That's it. No Ratcliffe. No Ratcliffe after eight p.m. That's right. That's right. And then we've been to parties where there've been no Trump talk signs all over the place. You know. So. Oh God, that's amazing. So you, you go to parties. There's a bunch of career professional, former professional, F, FBI, NSA, exactly. intelligence community of people. No Trump talk. Deal. No, no Trump talk. <laughs> right behind the happy birthday sign, there's a no Trump sign. No Trump talk sign. Well, I got to tell you that there's a, a 20 lessons about tyranny in On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder. And number two is defend institutions. And that's what I'm, I'm here to try to do. And uh, my, my institutions well, of choice you. are the intelligence institutions. And if you had told me five years ago I would be bucking for the FBI, you know, I would have, I would have, <laughs> I would have laughed in your face. But um, here, that's where we are in this country. Uh, the intelligence community has been just gutted and torn down and torn apart by this administration from day one. And uh, I I won't stand for it. And hopefully we can rebuild and fill that reservoir of trust back up that's been drained oh, just so fast over the last few years. Well, keep the faith, kiddo. It's always great to talk to you. I will, Unc. It's great to talk to you, too. If I can do anything else for you, let me know. And if you have any more questions on this FISA thing, there's a couple of good uh Web's web. If you, if you Google it, you could look for. I think in 
2013, maybe, or 14, uh, that the presiding judge, a guy named Reggie Walton, wrote a long letter to uh, Senator Leahy, who was uh, chairman of the Intel Committee. And, you know, Leahy had asked him a whole bunch of questions about the FISA process and the system and all that. And he uh, wrote this long, long letter back answering all the questions and he included the uh, the rules of procedure for the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. It's, it's pretty interesting reading. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Judge Walton. He's currently presiding over a case uh, determining the appropriateness of Bill Barr's redactions in the Mueller report. Yeah, yeah some of these cases go on and on and on. So <laughs> They do, they do. <laughs> I assume we'll be talking about this for a while. So I will keep you on the, on uh, in my uh, contact list. And the only favor I ask you is to give LB a hug for me the next time you see her. And uh, I appreciate you. I sure will. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak to me today. 30-year-plus NSA veteran Jeremy Black, also known as Unc, Lincoln's Bible's uncle. So please and thank you for joining me today. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, Daily Beans listeners, it's AG. I try to stay in shape, but I get bored really fast with the same workouts over and over again. I'm always looking for new routines and exercises to keep me engaged and motivated. And if you're like me and you're looking for exciting workouts that are fun and challenging but not boring, then you have to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp is an at-home boxing and bodyweight workout taught by real fighters, and it's made for all levels from first-time boxers to seasoned fighters. It is even great for kids. It's so much fun. I just did one with my goddaughter, and it was amazing. The boxing workout is ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape, and it's honestly one of the most fun ways to get a full body workout and get that stress out, right? And combine cardio and strength training, and you develop hand-eye coordination, keeps your brain on, on its game. Fight Camp provides the gear you need. They, they provide the gloves, the wraps, and the best freestanding punching bag on the market. And their unique punching tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and your stats in any iOS device. I love it. And uh, the workouts are structured like traditional boxing rounds with interval training of three minutes of high-intensity boxing and bodyweight training and then one minute of rest. So it's that high-interval intensity training that really burns a lot of fat fast. You can access over 400 workouts for all fitness levels, uh, and they have four new workouts every week. And you can connect with Fight Camp on Facebook, too. Huge group where you can enter challenges and share successes and get online community support. And you can access a leaderboard for healthy competition. You can watch yourself reach new milestones and bring that goal-crushing mentality to every part of your life. Fight Camp keeps you engaged. It keeps you focused. And their endless variety, uplifting beats, motivating trainers, and very powerful technology combined to create a uniquely satisfying workout. Fight Camp offers flexible financing, low as 0% APR. And right now, for a limited time, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com beans. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they'll refund your money. Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. To try Fight Camp for 30 days, just go to joinfightcamp.com beans. That's joinfightcamp.com beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it And joining me today for the good news is our favorite person, Dana Goldberg. Dana, how are you? You know what? I'm just happy to be here. It's been another challenging week, a tearful week, some with you, some with the Beans team, some with the um, Leguminati. Uh, so it's good to be here and to hear some good news. And we're, we're getting through it. We're getting through it. 
Yes, yes, we're hanging on. And, you know, if you need to take a break, anyone, you know, take a break. We'll step in and fight for you. We have other people who will fight for you. We had somebody on our group who was like, I can't do the text banking. I just get so much hate back sometimes. And we're like, all right, well, how many do you do in a day? And she's like, I like 80. I'm like, all right, well, I'll take 20. This person will take 20. You take 20. You take a day off and then maybe do postcards. Like, we're all there for each other. It's so wonderful. Um, but I do have a couple of pieces of good news before we get to our listener submitted good news and confessions. Great. And if you want to submit any good news or confessions or corrections, just head to dailybeanspod.com and click contact. Uh, first up, Bloomberg has offered to pay $16 million towards the fees and fines for former felons in Florida so that they can vote. And right now the attorney general there is, try- is t- seeing if that's, le- if that's legal to do, but he's offering to pay those fines. So that's very Fabulous. cool of him. Yes. Um, for being such a butthole in general, but this is oh a good thing. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> At least he's uh, and he's paying. I, I don't know reparations. Like keep doing it. Mm. Like do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to buy Fox News and just shut it down. Oh, but I don't know why they haven't. But I just think I don't know if they'll sell. I mean, to be at this point, I think they're just too happy destroying democracy. <laughs> Well, in the movies, isn't like, isn't if it's something's publicly traded that they can just buy a controlling share and fire everyone on the board and don't fuck with me, fellas? Can't they do that? Or oh, let's do it. Let's just start a GoFundMe and we'll appoint you. Do it. We'll start a GoFundMe. Ag, you'll be in charge of the board. You'll go in there, take a a, a, a majority share, fire. As my mother calls him, fucker. I mean, Tucker Carlson. My mother, my mother in her seventies was like fucker, Tuck Tucker. I'm like, yep, that's his name. That is his name. Yep, I'll just walk in and I'll be like, I don't know if you gentlemen know, but now I now have controlling interest in Denver Carrington. I mean, Fox News, and I will fire you on the spot and replace you with a board that will do as I please. Um, Joan Collins for the win. Anyway, um, some other good news, Dana. You're going to love this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you were with this yet, but somebody wrote in and, and had a confession. And they said, I have been sleeping for 12 years on a Trump-branded mattress. Oh my god. <laughs> and and she's got this immense guilt for it. And uh and she, so she so I we, we made a few jokes about, you know, don't remove the tag under penalty of law. Um and are how they, that and are they yeah, and are they yellow? Like are Trump brand mattresses yellow? <laughs> <laughs> like urine yellow? It's disgusting. I'm sorry, beans. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's the uh the Trump branded Sealy Serta Golden Showers Deluxe mattress for your <laughs> for your sleeping needs. So this is this was a confession sent in by Helen, and she's like, "Yeah, me and my wife Anne, we've been sleeping on this fucking Trump oh, mattress." Man. So I contacted Helix, which is a sponsor of our show, and I was like, "Can you help these ladies out?" <gasps> and Helix is like, "Absolutely!" So they are sending her a free Helix Plus mattress, queen size mattress, Get so that out. she no longer has to sleep on that Trump brand piece of shit. <laughs> I love that, and hopefully, if there's any lesbian deathbed, it will fix that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i fucking love you okay now on to the listeners did i say deathbed or bed death because i meant I'm... bed death but now deathbed death <laughs> i just heard what i said i'm like that's not what i meant <laughs> I'm so sorry. Lesbian bed death. Good Lord. (laughs) Okay. We're just going to gather ourselves together. Good times. Good times. (laughs) Good times. 
All right, next. Let's. <laughs> I just have to tell you real quick. So on my podcast, I interviewed Alexandra Billings. So if you do listen to Out in the Field, I hope you've heard this. But I mixed up my words with that too, and I was talking about Pence taking over the COVID response, which is ridiculous because we know in Indiana, and I meant to say he really. Um, you know, screw the pooch is what I was, I was, I meant to say. And I was in such a horrible mood that I was like, Pence really fucked the dog on the AIDS pandemic in, in, in India. Alexandra and I cried for about three minutes. We were laughing so hard. And that's all she says now. Pence really fucked the dog. Fuck the dog on this one. I'm switching to yeah. fuck the dog. Um, yeah, I think the other day on the podcast I referred to, you know, like sometimes dogs hate lightning or thunder. And so you put a, a, th- a thunder shirt on it. I call it a lightning vest. I <laughs> oh, my God. How many people wrote in and were like, we're calling, you know, the ch- what is it? The Anna- I don't know. Sarah yes, McLaughlin. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but fuck the dog is so much better. Oh, um, so good. Okay. All right. Now, speaking mm, first, of. Yes. Yes. Yeah, speaking of dogs. Uh, the first good news story comes from Denise, pronouns she and her, and pandemic pup. Hi, Allison and Beans listeners. I have some good news to report. It's a rather minor. It's rather minor in the grand scheme of things, but it sure has been a bright spot in my life after living the Groundhog Day monotony all these months. First, back in March, my daughter lost her dream job that she had for one whole week due to COVID. She was able to get some part-time work, but once her lease was up, it made sense for her to move home. Uh, Since she was so down, she didn't want to move back home with her parents at 24. We promised she could get a puppy that she always wanted since she was a kid. (laughs) She arrived home from Minneapolis at the beginning of the month. We adopted Leroy, a six-month-old Australian cattle dog mix, a week later. He's cute and mellow and working out great. My daughter also found a part-time job in her field that can turn into full-time. Oh, my gosh. Look at this guy. (gasps) Leroy's so cute. Look Look at those ears. You could fly to Guam with those ears. He's getting, yeah, he's getting CNN just like right to his snout on, with those things. Oh my gosh. That, they're beautiful. Oh, what a honey. I Just animal pictures just really, they brighten me. They brighten my day. Mm. It doesn't really what they are. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue, we'll include this in the newsletter this week too. And then Dana, why don't you take the next two? Because they're relatively short. You got it. This one's from Anonymous, pronouns he, him. <laughs> With all the shit going on, I've escaped into writing a D&D campaign in the Monsters of Merca setting. Making fun of so much of what's happening in the country and writing has been very therapeutic. <laughs> I, you know what, don't even know what most of that means, but I feel the joy. I feel the joy in this submission. That's mm. it. Monsters of Merca. I hope, I hope it's, yeah, I hope whoever's the monster is losing. Whoever you decided to name after Trump. At first, I thought that said Monsters of Merkin, and I was like, why? Oh. Why? But um, <laughs> I, I still love that people are into d and I'll tell you that right now. I think it is just, I mean, good on you. Seriously. I play, I play on a podcast called Awful D&D, Awful Neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Next good news we got is from Kevin and pronouns he, him. Seattle's mayor vetoed a budget bill that would shrink the police force and scale up community solutions. But the Seattle City Council overrode his veto right on. It may be small, but it is a step in the right direction and good news for police reform. That is good news. I love that people are stepping up. You know, there's even... Not, people aren't doing always doing the right thing even if they you know are the mayor of a blue state you know mm, of a blue yeah. city i should say of seattle yeah agreed that 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 
um, overrode his veto. That was great. Um, power to the people. That's why it starts locally, right? Um, yes. Next next up from Anonymous, pronouns uh, she and her. Uh, hello, lovely ladies. One of the pattern designs I follow, Notorious, Notorious, K-N-I-T, Notorious <laughs> S-H-E, has made RBG descent collar crochet patterns and is becoming very popular. She decided to donate 100% of the money she makes on it into hashtag flip the Senate. Last I checked, she was up to $450. Not bad for a $2 pattern. Thanks for help keeping me informed uh, and sane since March. We'll share a link in the newsletter. And then there's a photo. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. I love that people are buying this and that the money's going towards something good. Mm-hmm. I saw awesome. a post and I, I don't, uh, well, I know it's sort of the enemy, but I am part of some Facebook, uh, groups and suburban housewives for Biden. Uh, someone put a collar on their chucks. So it was like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Kamala all in one shoe. And they're trying to get, um, Converse to actually make them. So they're starting a petition to try and I would buy them in a heartbeat. Yeah, me too. I would. And I wear chucks all the time. And if they had the little descent collar on them, oh my God. Uh, shall I take the next two or you want to take this one? Uh, go ahead. Okay. We've got, uh, or actually I'll just take one. You take one. I like, like how I started making up rules for your podcast. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this Please. one's from Jocelyn, she and her. In honor of my birthday, I gave myself the gift of democracy and I voted early. Yes, girl. I'm happy to report there was a steady stream of people at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Now I'm going to go eat ice cream and make a dent in the cider that appeared on my steps when I was out. Well, please be careful. Perhaps I have a follow-up confession post tomorrow, depending on consumption. Hilarious. Please. I hope I hope you know who the cider's from. I hope you drank it all. And I hope that the next time we have a good news, it's going to be a confession from Jocelyn. Yeah, me too. Well, I had five of the ciders. Uh-uh. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's wonderful. I, I hope that the, the uh, magically appeared on the doorsteps while I was out is uh, being facetious and that you actually just stopped by and picked it up but uh yeah definitely next up is from hannah pronouns she and her my good news is that after an anxious wait my overseas voter registration was confirmed and i have downloaded filled out and posted my ballot from australia i do not want to take any chances with slow mail and then i completed my nomination to run for my local council something i never thought i would ever consider but the past few years have made me rethink everything i ever thought yeah, tell me about it, right? And uh, today I have finally finished my campaign flyer, so all I have left to do is design the posters and a banner and then get letterboxing. Now, can you find me someone to do a daily Australian Beans podcast, please? <laughs> <laughs> we need it. And uh, we have almost no independent media here and a prime minister who holidays with QAnon people. Whoa, so. really? The prime minister of Australia holidays with QAnon folks? Yeah, yeah. Oh, weirdos. Man, so weird. I hope she gets all that taken care of. Who knows? Maybe there's someone listening that'll help her get those posters and banner done. All right. We've got full, this one's from Melissa, pronouns she and her. The past six months have been stressful to say the least. Amen. But the one thing I had my hopes for was to have my grandparents who are in their 90s and live in a care home. Don't worry. They both still have their marbles and my 95-year-old grandpa still drives. He only drives during the day and only in town, everyone. (laughs) I love this is all like, everyone don't panic. At my apartment... 
So she had them at her apartment again for Thanksgiving. Here in Canada, we have our Thanksgiving on the second Monday in October. It was the one thing I was hoping for throughout the height of this pandemic this past spring. My parents were visiting, of course, outside, and apparently they're coming over Thanksgiving, Lord willing. I love this. Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, is one of my favorite holidays because for the most part, it's not capitalism. It's not about gifts. It's not about some religious... I mean, there is definitely negatives to it about why Thanksgiving exists in the first place. But the the reason, um, you know, but it's still one of my favorite holidays. It's just sort of about food and family and being together. I agree. I do like Thanksgiving. Hate what it's based on. Don't celebrate that part. Yes. I celebrate Please my family, not. my chosen family and um, yummy food. Although we, we stopped doing Turkey. Um, you know, we, we do like other other like meats and non-meats <laughs> no well i mean you know we always yeah. have some vegetarians at the table so we we, we do that but um have some portobellos grilled portobellos or something but usually Yum. mom will make a prime rib or something um but we just all get together and eat and talk and it's lovely and there's no we i am fortunate enough to only have one trump supporter in my entire family and and he's not allowed to speak when <laughs> about politics <laughs> good I, I, I think I have them in my extended, so they're not at Thanksgiving, uh, thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, the, 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 the photo that goes with this next confession, this dog looks like it's going, like it's plotting. <laughs> and the dog's got side eye. I know. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, let's hear it. Let's see what Gail says. Uh, pronouns she and her. This dog is so hilarious. This happened back on September 8th, but I wasn't sure about fessing up to it. I'm currently running for local school board. I love everyone who's running for office. Uh, And I was participating in a Zoom interview with some wonderful local high school students who were putting together information about all of the candidates. In the middle of my interview, as I'm trying to look as serious like a serious candidate, my new rescue dog, Cruiser, (laughs) who who we'd only adopted seven days earlier, decided I wasn't paying enough attention to him and needed to make his presence known. He walked up to my side and calmly proceeded to pee on the carpet at about six feet, six inches from my feet. Uh, I was completely unable to ignore it, as he was and is still in the process of house training. Ergo, the whole incident is now on their official website as part of my official campaign submission. Oh, my God. Lordy, there are tapes. She says it. Here he is. Look at this fucker. (laughs) Look at him. He's like, excuse me. Oh, that needs to be a portrait on the wall. Someone needs to paint that dog for her. (laughs) (laughs) No, the dog is like... <laughs> Seriously, oh honestly, goodness. who throws a cupcake? That's what that dog. That is. dog's gonna have a. That dog's gonna write in a confession for the Beans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We do have a confessor. We have a confession from Kristen. No pronouns were given. My confession, uh, which I feel brave enough to admit after anonymous's on Tuesday's episode, is that I am scared too. Although I'm still being very cautious, I don't care if I get the Rona. My concern has always been being an asymptomatic and passing it on to someone who is unable to fight it off. Beyond that, I'm incredibly scared about the election. I have immense privilege for now. I'm a cis, hetero, white woman with a mortgage, stable job, great health insurance. But I look at the damage that has been done in the four year in the four short years. Things have taken things sorry about that. Things that have taken generations to build are being torn down. I genuinely don't know how we could survive another four years. I always laughed off the alternate 
2015 in the second Back to the Future movie, but it's uncanny how Biff, who was based after Trump, having all of the power destroyed the town. I don't want 2020 America to be anything like that. Kristen, I agree. Let's do everything we can to make sure that Trump is not our Biff of 2020. I didn't know Biff was based on Trump. I actually didn't either until I read this, and then I'm thinking back on the movie, and I'm like, it makes total sense. Ah, yes. Obviously not the Trump we know as the president, but the Trump before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real estate, mogul, asshole, terrible hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, nah, thanks for sending that in, uh, Kristen. And, uh, you know, my DMs are open on Twitter, at Allison Gill, if you ever need to talk. Um, next up, we have one more um, submission here. This is from Snarky Duck, pronouns she and her. Uh, I have been hearing that Kamala is motivating a lot of naturalized citizens who can tend not to vote out of fear of rocking the boat after working so hard to become citizens to register and vote this year. My sister, who is currently home on maternity leave with one of my with my gorgeous new nephew, congratulations, had her immigrant mother-in-law visiting last weekend. So while we were chatting, I asked her to make sure that her mother-in-law is registered and has a voting plan. She immediately told me she didn't need to ask because the first thing her mother-in-law asked when she walked in the door was if they are registered and have a plan to vote. <laughs> so, so buck up, Leguminati. Immigrant moms are here and they're motivating people to get to the ballot box. I love to hear it. We love to hear it. I feel better. I do too. That was a good laugh. Thank you for that, AG, at the beginning. Mm. My goodness. Mm. My goodness. <laughs> really fucked the dog on this. Yeah, lesbians, uh, don't, don't, don't buy those bed deaths. Don't buy the death beds. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're sending you a new mattress, and we sure hope it's your deathbed. Have oh a nice God. day. Yeah, that's really amazing. I mean, I, think, I feel like if you were sleeping on a Trump mattress, that would cause bed death in a lesbian relationship for sure. Like haunted. Oh, God, I know. Oh, I, I actually, my mouth just started to water. I think I'm going to throw up a little bit. Okay, let's move. Close whatever you do for this part of the podcast. Please do it. All right, dude, we'll shut it down. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for helping me read these good news stories again. If you have anything to submit, personal or political, uh, or any confessions or questions, just go to dailybeanspod.com. We'll see you tomorrow. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.